So I've titled this sermon, Somatic Abolitionism. And if any of you saw that title in advance and thought, what? (laughs) That's fair. Uh, But I chose it because Somatic Abolitionism was the original title of the latest book by the author and activist and therapist, Resma Minicum. And his uh, publisher, perhaps not surprisingly, said, you know, maybe that title's a little too erudite. You know, (laughs) maybe we need something a little more transparent. That was probably a good call. Uh, And they eventually settled on The Quaking of America, an embodied guide to navigating our nation's upheaval and racial reckoning. But I also appreciate the distilled wisdom encapsulated in just that simple two-word title. So I want to take just a moment to unpack it. Somatic comes from the Greek word soma, meaning body. Uh, And abolitionism comes from that that word as a variation on abolish, so to get rid of something. And we also historically most strongly associate abolitionism with the movement to end slavery. So if we tie all that together, somatic abolitionism is about dismantling racism, is about dismantling white supremacy culture, specifically through a focus on our human bodies. And we're going to talk a lot more about what that means. And there's, that's the gist, but there's a lot more to it. Here's Minicum's list of all that he has in mind when he uses that term, somatic abolitionism. He means a living, embodied practice and culture of anti-racism. And we'll say again a lot more about this, but I think this focus on embodiment is really kind of, it's kind of like form follows function, because racism is so much about bodies. I think focusing on embodiment is there's something smart about that. He says it's also about a return to the age-old wisdom of human bodies respecting, honoring, and resonating with other bodies. That we really do have, we talked about this quite a few months ago in a sermon on bodyfulness. So we hear a lot in meditation about mindfulness, and a lot of meditation is neck up. But there's also heartfulness, where we start getting our emotions involved, and bodyfulness, where we become kind of grounded in our body and other people's bodies. There's really something to that as well, the wisdom of things like whenever, have you ever like met someone for the first time and like your stomach clenched up or you got butterflies in your stomach or like, you know, our our bodies tell us things, right? It's also somatic abolitionism is about the resources of energies that are always present in your body and the collective body and in creation. So this is kind of a reference to what we sometimes call our seventh principle, uh, as you use, the interdependent web of all existence. It's about that. He says it's also an emergent process. It's something we're figuring out, this whole how freedom is coming. And we're figuring out how to get there, right? It's emergent. It's a way of being in the world. It's also, and this is where his therapist stuff comes in, it's a way of growing up of owning your stuff, right? It's about being an adult. Uh, And finally, it's an embodied response, again, to the problems of white body supremacy. And if this somatic approach to liberation, if it sounds kind of intriguing to you, um, both of Minikin's books are really quite powerful as well as really quite useful. And they're really ways of, have you ever heard the difference, that there's a real big difference between trying to think our ways into new ways of acting and acting our ways into new ways of thinking? And the latter is more effective. It's more effective to act yourself into new ways of thinking. Here, um, let me say a little bit more about all this. I would recommend starting with Minicum's first book, My Grandmother's Hands. How many of you have read that book? Anybody? 
All right, I see a few hands. All right, my grandmother's hands. Uh, Racialized Trauma and the Pathway to Mending Our Hearts and Bodies. I also recommend his new book, but I should warn you that that new one is a very direct, no-holds-barred take on our current moment uh, politically in this country. It's a very direct, um, very serious threats uh, to our democracy. It's also a powerful resource, though, filled with practical tools to help you both process internally as well as to act externally to create both personal and social change. So check out them both if you're interested. Uh, let me share with you just a little bit uh, about Minicum's background to give you just a sense of the real-world experience that he's drawing from to write both of his books. He has a master's uh, in social work and for many years has been a therapist in private practice. And one of his areas of specialization is uh, the somatic experiencing approach to trauma developed by Peter Levine. He's also trained with Bessel van der Kolk. Uh, some of you will have heard of his book, The Body Keeps the Score. That's a book that was published quite a few years ago, and it's just like had this resurgence of interest. And people, I think people kind of are starting to get it just from that title, The Body Keeps the Score. Like our body holds things that, that whether you, you can try to ignore that, but like our body really holds things. And this, there are ways, though, of processing that. Uh, Minicum has served as the Behavioral Health Director of African American Family Services in Minneapolis, as a consultant to the Minneapolis Police Department, and he's uh, managed the counseling services for civilians on 53 U.S. military bases in Afghanistan. So he's bringing all of that. Like, this isn't just abstract stuff for him. It's, it's been worked out in years of experience. And most importantly, it is Minicum's embodied, trauma-sensitive approach that makes his work on racism really stand out to me. There's this incredible number, there's just been this burgeoning uh, number of books on anti-racism and multiculturalism and anti-oppression, which is wonderful. But to me, Minicum's first book, My Grandmother's Hands, it remains one of the best books written on racism in recent years because of his attention both to trauma and to somatic experiencing. And I think he's right that our work for social justice, uh, as well as for racial justice in particular, it's much more likely to succeed if it's trauma-informed and if it's attuned to how do we regulate our body? How do we regulate our nervous system in doing this difficult work? So part of what makes an experience not merely unpleasant or harmful or stressful, but actually traumatic is that it is literally overwhelming. If any of you remember our sermon this summer on Brene Brown's Atlas of the Heart, she distinguished between being stressed and truly being overwhelmed. You know, like overwhelmed means you just need to walk away. Like you just can't, stressed is like, okay, that's bad. And you know, I'm, I'm getting saturated, but overwhelmed is like, you're just, you're shut down. It's too much to process, too much to metabolize. So it stays in your system. Minicum says it this way, to your thinking brain, there is past and present and future and calm and collected. To the traumatized body, there is only now. And it's that moment of trauma that's just as real in the present as it was when it happened. And that now, he says, is the home of intense survival energy. A related way that we've talked about this in previous sermons is that when we humans are rested and relaxed, have any of you, like, are we even like that anymore? Do we, do we ever get rested and relaxed anymore? Uh, we, we, we are in what neuroscientists sometimes call our green zone. So if you're in your green zone, uh, in that calm state, it's easier to access your prefrontal cortex. So this front part of our brain, that's the most 
evolved and advanced part of our brain that allows us to engage the world more sensibly and rationally. In contrast, as your stress level increases, and especially if you get to anything truly overwhelming or truly life-threatening, we shift into the red zone. And then all of a sudden, instead of being here in our prefrontal cortex, we're back here in our reptile brain, in our, our limbic brainstem. Uh, this is what's called the fight or flight. You've heard of that? Fight, flight, freeze. Or this is sometimes called the have sex with it or kill it part of our brain. Um, and this is where being trauma-informed can be all important. If, we, if an experience reminds us of a trauma from our past, it can trigger a red zone reaction that can make it difficult to shift out of. Remember that earlier quote from, Ren, from Minicum, to your thinking brain, there is past and present and future, but to the traumatized body, there is only now, and it is home to intense survival energy. It's also vital to emphasize that trauma is never your fault. It is something that is done to you. Uh, trauma is never a personal failing. It is not something you choose. It is something that, again, happens to someone. In the moment, it can be a vital tool for survival. It can actually be a good thing. But long-term, it can kind of get arrested and can become what we've heard called PTSD, right? Post-traumatic stress syndrome. So we want to learn how to shift from PTSD to what's increasingly being called, how do we get to post-traumatic growth, right? Seth um, talked about this. Any of you that saw his sermon on Veterans Day last year, Seth Pollack did a really powerful sermon that's in our, on post-traumatic growth. And the good news is there are proven methods for shifting ourselves out of this state of fight-flight-freeze toward more compassionate practices, sometimes called tend and befriend, that allow us to uh, work with uh, trauma and begin to heal it. If you're curious to explore this approach, there are a growing number of therapists in Frederick and around the country and the world that are trained in this somatic experiencing approach. Uh, but for now, let's just ground it um, briefly in just an introductory embodiment practice. And let's begin with one we've done a few times before. And I, I don't mind introducing this to you. you know, if you've been around here a while, I've probably talked about this six or seven times. But here's the thing about practices. You have to practice them, right? So like, it's like we don't just do it once and it takes. It's like free throws or playing. Did you just practice once that piece and it took, right? No, you have to practice, right? Uh, so with, you know, practice doesn't make perfect but it makes more permanent, right? It begins to make it more second nature. So let's try that second that of self-compassion break. We've tried a few times. This is from Kristen Neff and Christopher Germer, the mindful self-compassion. Just putting, if it feels okay to you, putting one hand on heart center. And just noticing that, does even that make a difference? Can you feel like your heart maybe buzzing a little bit or warming up, just a little bit of activation in your heart chakra? And then maybe put a hand on your gut. Just notice that, if that or, or anywhere else in your body, if you're feeling pain, that want to offer yourself that self-compassionate touch. And this is the three steps of the self-compassion break. Just saying that there's a, a sense, even just in this moment, that life is unsatisfactory. There is unsatisfactoriness here. There is suffering here. And just, just noting that. And then universalizing it, reminding yourself that the gods are not out to get you. You know, like this is, life is hard. It is a universal part of the human condition that, that suffering exists. And then the third part is just setting an intention in this moment to the greatest extent available to you, just setting an intention. May I be kind to myself in this moment. May I offer myself compassion, the same compassion you might offer 
to a friend. And just noticing, are you noticing anything different in your body, in your heart, in your mind? And this awareness of your body is what we talked about last week. It's a sense of proprioception. That's what, you know, developing this, this bodily sense. And we're going to expand this just briefly to a few other pieces. If your feet are on the floor, maybe just noticing the floor beneath you. Feeling the support of the chair. Just opening yourself to that. And noticing in response to this, what we've been talking about, that there are these tools that can shift us from fight, flight, freeze, toward tend and befriend, noticing if there's any hope in that for you. And noticing if that shows up in your body. This might seem weird to some of you. That's okay. But this is kind of what somatic experiencing helps us become more accustomed to. Noticing things like, where does hope show up in my body? And how does that seem? Or noticing if there's any fear. Is there any fear in your body? Is it a tightness? Is it a painful resonance? Maybe a dead, hard spot. Just, just noticing that. If your body feels both hopeful and afraid, Minicum says, congratulations. This is just where you need to be, to be ready for what comes next, to be a little bit hopeful and a little bit afraid. So as you're ready, you can, you can keep your hand in, on your heart and your gut if you want, but if you're, you can let that go if, that, if, you're, if you're ready to begin to reorient to the room. This is just a little bit of a taste. Both of Minikam's books are chopped full of, of practices, but here's the thing. You can't just read. They don't work if you just read them. You actually have to do them, and this might be a place where even the audiobook might be really helpful. Uh, and he also, it's really useful that he often has a lot of different gradations. So he'll be like, do this guided meditation if you have a white body. Do this guided meditation if you have a black body. Do this guided meditation if you're a police officer. And maybe do this other one if you're a police officer and a person of color, right? He's sort of helped thinking about all these different kind of gradations to take all these things into account. So earlier I mentioned uh, Bessel van der Kolk's influential book, The Body Keeps the Score. And let me give you just one quote from that book. He writes, once you start approaching your body with curiosity rather than fear, everything shifts. Once you start approaching your body with curiosity, what is my body telling me? Right? With curiosity rather than fear, everything shifts. In particular, when confronting a racially charged situation, it can be really easy to enter into fight or flight mode for everyone concerned or some variation of that. And some of you may remember a few years ago, I preached about how one of the two most useful, I would actually call them spiritual practices in doing racial justice work, is the spiritual practice of curiosity and the spiritual practice of commitment. And curiosity is about, instead of, if you find yourself getting defensive, saying, can I shift that into curiosity? Why am I getting defensive? What's that about? What's underneath that? Am I, I'm feeling unsafe. Well, am I really unsafe? And, and what, you know, starting to get curiosity about that. And, and again, a commitment to, to staying involved. And the, 
important uh, qualifier I should add here that neither I nor Minicum uh, is saying that of this curiosity and commitment piece, if you are truly in a life-threatening situation, that is not the time to get curious and committed, right? Uh, sometimes a reptile brain response or fight or flight is precisely what is needed. If you are in a toxic situation, sometimes the best move is to get away as quickly as possible. Sometimes the grass really is greener somewhere else, and it really is toxic where you are. Other times, and this is um, one of the focuses of Minicum's book, other times, do you know the saying, wherever you go, there you are? You know, sometimes we're just bringing our trauma with us wherever we go, and we're helping us sort of replicate the toxicity. And if that's the pattern we find ourselves stuck in, then a trauma-informed embodied practice can begin to make all the difference so that wherever we go, we're bringing healing and not just replicating. You ever know the saying that, like, um, you know, if you grew up in a chaotic household, chaos feels like home, you know, when we kind of recreate the stuff, right? Uh, let me give you another simple embodied practice that can help. Just take a deep breath in and let it go. And then just gently, if this is available to you, just gently rock forward a little and rock back. Just your upper body. Just, just rock forward and rock back a little. And, and don't like assault your neighbor, but try it side to side a little bit as well. Just rock a little forward, back, and then just stop. And notice, did that shift anything for you? Maybe just kind of loosen things up. Just these simple embodied practices, just rocking a little, can just begin to kind of shift things um, for us. They're a little bit like, uh, a lot of these embodied practices are like learning how to access a remote control to your body and to your heart and your mind so that you can like change the channel on yourself <laughs> uh, and shift to maybe a softer and gentler and more fully present frequency than what you had previously been tuned into. Like, wow, this channel is not fun. Let me, let me change the channel on myself. You really can. Minicum writes, few skills are more essential than the ability to settle your body. We should be teaching this in school. We really should be. How to settle your body. And again, if you're interested in trying this out, there's so many practices throughout the book. But some of it, I also appreciate that he also, in addition to all these kind of a little bit more advanced somatic practices, he also says, don't forget the basics. Don't forget things like your body can be so much more regulated if you're sleeping seven or eight hours a night, if you're eating healthy, exercising 30 minutes a day, meditating regularly, or doing whatever practice you prefer. And just uh, embracing simple pleasures, spending time, whatever you enjoy doing, spending time in nature, doing yoga, playing a musical instrument, creating art, gardening, spending time with friends, all of this helps regulate our bodies and nervous systems. And when you're more regulated and grounded, you can show up for justice in a much more productive way, a much less fragile way. There's one other thing I should mention. I love that Minicum includes on that list of all the things that you could do if you're, that if you're feeling really ramped up in a social situation or uh, really even trapped, he said his number one tip is to say, I need to use the bathroom. I love that he's just really, that's just a great thing to have in your, you know, just, I'll be right back, right? I need to use the bathroom. He said, that is indeed one of the most reliable ways to get yourself, to buy yourself a few minutes of peace and quiet, <laughs> you know, uh, to calm down your heart and mind and body.
Now, with all this being said, I'd be remiss if I didn't end with a reminder again of what all this embodied self-care is for. The point is not just to care for ourselves and our bodies, as vitally important as that is. It is to increase our capacity and our resilience to do the work of co-creating a world in which all bodies are cared for and taken care of and resourced with what they need to live a simple, dignified life. And if you do read Minicum's book, I should also warn you, uh, the, again, the second book is much more direct, but even the first book, he's, like, with, if you've ever had a really good therapist that will occasionally just speak really directly to you, he's not afraid to do that, uh, to speak the truth that will serve the process of healing. I'll give you just a taste. So especially for those of us in white bodies, Minicum writes, honestly, I need you to know, I do not care if your sister-in-law is black. I don't care if you used to cut Martin Luther King Jr.'s hair. I don't care if you have adopted nine black babies or gave $50,000 to the NAACP Legal Defense Fund. I don't care if you're a sax-playing ex-president. And this is key. I do not keep a scorecard on your life, and neither should you if you are an adult. Set aside credentialing. Set aside, do you all know the term whataboutism? You bring something up, and they're like, what about this? What about that? Well, we can talk about that, but what about the thing I just brought up, Right? He said, this is what I do care about. What are you doing with your life right now? Are you treating all human beings with genuine regard? Are you calling out evil and immorality when you encounter it? Are you serving your fellow human beings? Are you acting out of the best parts of yourself? Are you working with other people to dismantle all forms of white body supremacy? As we hold these questions in our heart and uh, ponder how we feel led to respond, it is significant to note that I'll list one final embodied spiritual practice that Minicum recommends, and this is something we do every Sunday here at UECF, and that's singing together. Group singing is something that so many psychological studies have said, it is so good for you to sing together. And it's pretty rare in our society, right? There aren't a lot of places, you know, occasionally at concerts, where you sing together. And that's something we do here every week. I'm sure Deb would love to talk to you if you'd like to join the choir and would like even more of that. And I think a lot of our choir members would attest to how psychologically healthy it is to sing together. So let's rise and body your spirit, your teal hymnals, 1053. How could anyone? We're going to sing this twice, and I want to invite you to, to do it in two ways. The first time, I want to invite you to sing this to yourself. You, you be the you. Uh, and the second time, just kind of open your heart and mind and notice who do you need to be singing these words to? Just let your mind free associate. Let your heart free associate. Who is that you? You know who it is. You know, that person that, that needs to hear these words. So sing it the first time to yourself and then sing it the second time to whoever you need to sing it to today. Let's sing together. <laughs> 